now that I live on the water and, and I'm able to, you know, if I want to change the view, I just move the boat. Or if I don't like the neighbours, I can just go to a different bay. That's pretty hard to beat. Welcome to Somewhere Else, the podcast that chats to people living in weird and wonderful ways. Each episode, your hosts, Domain Editors January Jones and Rose Donahue, interview someone who's ditched the white picket fence for the path a little less travelled. Hello, January. Hi, Rose. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to hear your voice. How are you going? I'm going really well, actually. I'm currently doing a bit of a backyard blitz and doing up my backyard, which has been a fun experiment, especially for someone with not much renovation experience. I know. I I don't actually, no, I was going to say I don't consider you a handy woman, but I do actually. I think you'd be quite good at that. Well, I do own a drill, you know. (laughs) I think that's a good start. And a toolkit, like a, a, very a small toolkit. <laughs> a cordless drill or a drill with a cord? A cord I discovered that's quite important. Drill. Oh, I went cord. I stinged out. Oh. Big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> um, how is Amsterdam going? Amsterdam's going well. So have you done much exploring of the city since you've been there? Yeah, I have. I mean, it's a cycling city, so we're always on bikes. Um, and I've only got about a 10-minute bike ride to work. So after work, I can sort of ride around the city. I mean, it's a tiny city. It's really a village. It's got about a population of 900,000 people, but you can literally ride from end to end in 25 minutes. So if, but the funny thing is you get really lazy when you live here. So I'll say to a friend, do you want to meet me somewhere? And if it's more than 15 minutes on a bike, they just won't do it, which I find pretty funny (laughs) coming from living in Melbourne where most people commute at least 30 minutes to work every day. Yeah, that's so funny. But I guess it's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative and people become lazy pretty easily. What about the canals? Do people make make much use of those? Do you kind of, you know, get on your rowboat and row down to someone's house? (laughs) I have not gotten on my rowboat, um, not having a rowboat personally. But you know what? I've actually never been on a boat in Amsterdam, which is a bit of a shame. I see people, like it's a big it's a big tourist thing. It's also a thing, like a lot of locals especially. Well, people live on um, boats, don't they? Yes, they do. So there are the houseboats that are moored sort of on the side of the canals and then there are sort of boat cruises that go past every five minutes full of tourists, um, smoking cruises, you know, it, it can... It, it's a bit of a party vibe sometimes as well. And then, of course, on King's Day or Queen's Day, which is once a year and is basically just a big party, the canals are absolutely chockers full of boats. Um, but, yeah, the houseboats are interesting. There's obviously still a lot of people who live in houseboats in Amsterdam. I think it's legal here. I know that in Australia we make it a lot more difficult for people, but I think in Amsterdam you can sort of register a boat as if it's just a home. Yeah, well, that's interesting you say that because we've done a little bit of research into um, how, living on boats in Australia. Our guest today lives on a boat. Um, there aren't a whole lot of marinas in Australia that offer houseboat living, but it is more widely done in Queensland, which, I mean, makes sense. It's better weather and a milder climate. I, I guess so. I mean, I don't really understand why the government would want to prevent people from living on a boat if they have the means to live there. I mean, it's a it's a smaller footprint. It's obviously a lot more affordable than the current housing market. Why do you think we're trying to stop people from living on boats? Oh, probably taxes or something like that. There'd, there'd be some financial reason, surely. 
true. Maybe it's like a stamp duty thing. We did find out that in London there are more than 10,000 people who live on boats just in the city alone, which is a big number and not something I've really noticed when I've been to London, which is funny. No, neither, actually. They're sort of hiding away in their little cabins. Yeah. And interestingly, around the world, there are similar resident boating communities, including an ocean community in Hong Kong, where foreign airline pilots live until their contracts are finished. Now, that one, I think, is definitely a financial motivating factor because real estate in Hong Kong is absolutely insane. So expensive. Yeah, but it's funny to imagine all these pilots just kind of like hanging out, you know, they're going from their planes and then all of a sudden they're hanging around on their boats out on the water. To be honest, that sounds like hell to me. You're like, you're flying in a plane all day, which being semi-afraid of flying sounds like hell to me. And then you go home and instead of coming home to sort of, okay, now maybe I'm being a bit too negative, but I'm just imagining you're going from one small sort of rocking box to another small rocking box. So, so I'm guessing that you wouldn't live on a boat, Rose. Uh, look, I actually, I really love boats. I've never, I don't think I've ever slept overnight on a boat. So maybe I need to try it out. I'm not someone who gets seasick. Are you? Uh, no, but look, I haven't spent a whole lot of time on boats. So I'm not sure. I haven't tested it too much, but not in my life so far. <laughs> well, we took to the streets to ask people if they would ever consider living on a boat. Yeah. I'd love to live in a boat. That'd be the best. Um, I mean, maybe sail around the Mediterranean or something and live there for a year. No, I can't stand being on boats and water. So no, I definitely wouldn't do that. I would be so afraid to like drown or if something happens to the boat or something like that. I could not live on a boat because I tend to get seasick. So it just has no appeal. Uh, I definitely could live on a boat. Um, I like the open spaces and and the sea and and nature. so, So that's something that definitely appeals. Today we're talking to underwater filmmaker, diver and self-proclaimed pirate, Dean Kropp. Inspired by his father, the documentary maker and conservationist, Ben Kropp, Dean sold his house in Sydney and quit his job and now lives on a sailing boat, travelling around the world, creating a web series called Barefoot Captain's Log. So, Dean, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be talking to you. Can you tell us a bit about the moment that you decided to sell your home, quit your job and move to the water full time? <laughs> well, I guess it kind of happened accidentally. I knew I wanted to change. I was working very hard, doing lots of overtime uh, for this house I had in Sydney. You know, if you have a house in Sydney, you also have a massive mortgage. And I knew I wanted a change. I wanted to go back to what I used to do, go exploring like I did with my father when I was young. And I just decided to take a big jump. I was self-producing my own projects and, and doing a whole lot of things, working really hard, so busy. And I decided I had to make a change. So I sold the house, I quit the day job, and I bought a boat. And I bought the boat because I wanted to go filming and exploring the places you couldn't get to any other way. I wanted to go to the places that no one ever gets to see, really remote places. And the only way you can do that is if you have your own boat. And so I bought the boat intending to just go on these expeditions uh, and then I started chartering it in Sydney Harbour so I could make it kind of pay for itself. So it wasn't, you know, boats can cost a lot of money if you're not making them work. And it started earning really good money and I just fell into this life of six months of the year I'm working hard in Sydney Harbour and chartering and and exploring Sydney Harbour and bringing all these people on board my boat. And the other half of the year, I go sailing around the Pacific, go exploring, 
filming, looking for shipwrecks and just being a bit of a pirate, really. And do you ever get seasick, Dean? <laughs> I have got seasick. <laughs> I'm not completely infallible as far as that's concerned. Look, if, if, my, if I'm upside down in the engine room or there's something very stressful happening and it's really heavy weather, absolutely I can go a bit green behind the gills. Um, but I have learned how to deal with it. And so it's pretty rare that you'll see me seasick, but it's extremely rare that you'll ever see me admit to being seasick. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dean, those six months that you're living on your boat full time, can you explain to us a bit sort of where you actually sort of dock the boat? Are you ever in Sydney Harbour and are you allowed to be there legally? So you're not allowed to live on a boat, strictly speaking, in Sydney Harbour. But lucky for me, I move around so much and I'm in and out of the harbour and away for half the year that I can I can get away with it to a point. You're only allowed to live on your boat for about, I think it's 21 or 28 days uh, at a time. And you must have a, uh, a marina or a mooring that you, um, you pay for. You must have a place of, I guess your boat must have a place of residence. Um, and you can't live on your boat there at that mooring for uh, long periods of time. But because I move around, I do these expeditions for the other half of the year, and also my charter work takes me to uh, into pit water and other areas, and I'm also going away overseas doing some film work. I'm not always on the boat for that full 21 days. So I'm lucky. And is anyone checking? I get away with it. Look, they do check. I think if you are good about it. You know, if you're not hanging your underwear all along the rigging and along the boom um, and you're not causing trouble, you know, no one's going to rattle your chain and say, hey, you can't live here. The the other thing is, you, you know, my toilets have a holding tank, which we can pump out at those facilities. We store all our rubbish on board. Uh, We're very environmentally friendly on my boat. So it's it's a really good off-grid, zero-impact sort of existence. and I try and keep it that way. And that's how I'm able to, to stay for, uh, you know, days or weeks on my boat without causing trouble. If you're messing up the harbour, causing a nuisance, well, yeah, they have the, the, the rules are there to move you on. Now, Dean, can you tell us a bit about your father and how he, his journeys inspired you? Absolutely. Well, when I was born, my parents were told, well, that's it. You know, you're not going to be able to go anywhere like you used to. You're not going to be able to go on these adventures. You've got kids now, and kids don't belong on boats. Well, they did not take that advice. I got dragged along to every corner of the Solomon Islands and uh, Torres Strait and all up around the top of Cape York. Everywhere they wanted to go, I just had to come along and deal with it. And I love that. I'm so glad that they took me on these adventures because I... I learned a lot about surviving on my, uh, by myself and, and learning how to live in these places and go exploring. And, and I caught that bug very early on of exploration. And my dad was filming these documentaries, so we had to be part of those too. So we were free crew. We're also you know, free actors and we we're a part of everything. And I guess in that, I try and do the same thing now. So I don't think I'll ever be a solo sailor. I get bored too easily. And so when I go away on my own expeditions, uh, I take six or seven people with me. And it's a little crowded on my boat, but it's great fun to share these amazing experiences with people, show them these amazing places that we want to explore. They get an experience that money can't buy. And And it was my dad's dream to sort of show people these amazing places on film 
I'm doing that as well, but I'm also keen to take people there for real. And Dean, you said you can fit up to seven people on the boat. Can you explain to us a bit how, like how many, where are the beds? What's the setup of the boat? How big is it? So it was originally a four cabin vessel, uh, but we've converted one cabin uh, that in charter season, that's where all the beer and the food and everything goes. Uh, and on expedition season, uh, that's where all the camera gear and, and specialised equipment like scuba compressor and, and stuff like that goes. But we have three other cabins, three other double cabins, and they're quite spacious, quite nice. I mean, I'd much rather stay on the boat than anywhere on land. It's, it's very cosy. I've got a queen-size bed, an ensuite bathroom. Um, it, you know, it's quite livable. We've got a galley uh, down on one side. But space is limited, so you can't just have everything. You have to be, you have to know exactly what you want, and you know, don't bring useful stuff. Otherwise, it, it, you know, you're crawling over stuff and people and equipment, and it can get a bit crazy. You want enough livable space on your boat. I know plenty of people who can't fit a queen size bed in their apartment, so I think you're doing pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> well, the seventh person we managed to uh, make a bed inside the um, equipment room, we, we ended up being able to make a single bed in there with a swag and for my editor, who desperately wanted to come on the, on the last expedition. Uh, and luckily, he's only a, a short bloke, so we were able to fit him in there. So we don't usually go with seven, but we managed to make it work last time, and it was a really good trip. That sounds fantastic. So what does your day-to-day look like, particularly when you're on an expedition? There's two types of days. There's a crossing or, or a transit day, and then there's a day where we're at a location. So when we've reached the place that we're anchored and we want to go exploring, we wake up when the sun rises. And usually we straight away go and do something. We'll go and jump in the water and have a swim, go and snorkel something, explore when the weather's really nice and calm, those first few hours of the morning. And we'll go and do something exciting. Then we'll come back and have breakfast and then decide what our big mission of the day is. And it might be to go and find a shipwreck or it might be to travel the boat round to a new part of the reef we want to go and film. Uh, and explore, or it might be we want to go to the island, we've got a, a type of film shoot we want to do, we've just, we just did a whole lot of filming for New Caledonia Tourism on the last trip, and we were going to a lot of beautiful islands and going exploring, going ashore, looking for caves, things like that. So whatever our main mission is, we do that during the day, and then sometimes we'll come back in time to have a little bit of a lunch, um, chill out on the boat, download all the footage, decide what we're doing for the next day, do a bit of planning, and then sometime that evening we'll have dinner together. And by that stage, it might be 8 o'clock and people are falling apart everywhere. People are falling asleep <laughs> wherever they fall. These days are really busy. Early to bed, One early of, to rise. Yeah, pretty much. You're exhausted. And we don't end up drinking that much either because you have one or two beers and you are just toast. You just pretty much sleep where you fall. On a transit day when we're crossing oceans, that's completely different. We do... Uh, a rotation of um, two hours on, two hours off in four-hour blocks, and we do it in pairs. And so you spend two hours driving the boat on the wheel, keeping a watch out. That, that's your watch time. And then you spend the next two hours supporting whoever the next person on watch is in your, two group, in your uh, group of two. And then you have eight hours off to do whatever you like. And if it's a rough uh, crossing, well, pretty much people just sleep they read books if they can stomach it, and uh, you know the galley's open. You can eat whatever you like at whatever time of the day or night because these shifts rotate and they roll on uh, all day and all night. 
And so day and night kind of get a bit mixed up. And it's beautiful when you have calm weather crossing and you can sit around and, and, you know, you might watch movies or read books or just see the beautiful ocean pass by. But when it's rough, it's just all about surviving, trying not to be seasick, trying to maintain fatigue. Uh, They are definitely chalk and cheese when we're on a location (laughs) or when we're transiting. And what's the most beautiful place you've taken the boat? Oh, there's so many. Um, I have a special place in my heart for the Coral Sea. I love that area. Uh, my dad found shipwrecks around there when he was my age, and I'm I'm going looking for the shipwrecks he missed, <laughs> and and also finding some of the ones he found and finding them again. I do love that area. We've also been to Vanuatu, and that's beautiful. But the uh, Loyalty Islands uh, of New Caledonia, we were just there this year, earlier this year, and it is spectacular. It's not just spectacular because it's beautiful, but there's so many different types of adventures you can have. You know, in 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 one one in a couple of days, we were diving on uh, a bommy that came up from off almost 100 meters deep up to the surface, and beautiful coral structures, and we saw whales and dolphins there, and um, lots of fish, and we we're able to catch our dinner at that spot. And then the next day, it was pouring with rain, but we we're able to go ashore, and we found these amazing. Uh, underground caves we could swim in that are some of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. Um, and then another day we're climbing these, these cliff tops and see these amazing, beautiful views through the pines. There's just so many different types of adventure in that place. Oh, God, Dean, it sounds a lot more exciting than um, your average house in Sydney. Is there anything you miss about living in a house on the land? Um, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, you know I can't just always... Well, when we're on expedition, we can't just go down to the shops. No, true. So we have to take everything with us. So when you're out there and, and you're arguing with each other whether we should use the last onion on the boat for this, for tonight's dinner or tomorrow, uh, it's funny because you normally would never have to worry about that. You could just, oh, we'll just go and get more onions. Uh, not being able to get things readily, yeah, that's difficult. I did love having the house. It's hard to find a parking spot near the harbour. That's also problematic, but (laughs) now that I live on the water and and I'm able to, you know, if I want to change the view, I just move the boat or if I don't like the neighbours, I can just go to a different bay. That's pretty hard to beat. Yeah, definitely. What would you say to someone else that was considering doing something like this? Anybody can do it. You've just got to take that leap and, and make those changes. There are big changes to make, you know, things that were easy before when you lived on land are very hard on the water. You know, you have to be completely self-sufficient. You have to learn how to fix everything. But the rewards are huge. And I have a lot of uh, people asking, oh, I'd love to do this, but I've got, you know, kids. Uh, I've just had kids and they're this age, that age. Before we were at school, we were away sailing with my father and my mother. And so there's no reason you can't do it, even if you have kids or if you have no kids and and you want to just go by yourself and go exploring, you will always be able to find people who will want to come with you and go on that adventure. But you can't just live on your boat out in front of Vaucluse and say you have a Vaucluse address. It doesn't quite work like that. (laughs) The legalities are definitely interesting. Um, Dean, you say you don't need to be a special person to do what you're doing, but I think you sound pretty special and you're definitely very passionate about what you're doing. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Dean. My pleasure. And uh, have a lovely day and we'll see you out on the harbour sometime soon.
Hi, my name is Billy. About six years ago, me and my husband purchased a sailboat and we've been living on it ever since. And this is our story. I never grew up sailing, but always had a huge passion for the ocean. And I spent a couple of months with friends of mine who sailed their boat over from New Zealand to the Pacific Islands. So I went and joined them over there for a couple of months sailing around and that really sparked my passion. I sort of thought, yeah, that'd be so cool to live on a boat. It was sort of my dream to sail world, really. I never thought it would actually be reality. I met my now husband. We'd been together for a couple of months, so early days, and he actually bought a a fishing boat. And um, we were sort of looking at boats, and I I was just like, well, if he can buy a boat, I'm going to buy one. So I started looking at yachts and found our beautiful boat over in Sydney and um, just thought, why not? And um, so I just did it. We sort of jumped in the deep end, and we sailed it back from Sydney. We were living in Albany in Western Australia at the time. So we just um, jumped in and did it and sailed at home. And then, yeah, we've just been living on the boat for about four years and just doing heaps of work to the boat ourselves and, yeah, working and saving up with a sort of end goal in mind to putting our jobs and setting sail and just, yeah, live, live on the ocean and live off the land. So, yeah, catch our fish and trade for veggies and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's a Swanson 42 and her name is Jandu and she's yeah, a big solid fiberglass boat. And yeah, we've got plenty of space, beautiful wooden interior and we've got our back cabin and our little daughter now has her own cabin as well and we're completely sort of self-sufficient on there we have my own toilet and shower solar panels so everything is just solar so our baby girl um, came along um, once we've sort of been living on the boat for about three years so we had her in Albany and we thought okay once we've had her we're gonna set sail. So Cam, my husband, um, took leave from his job and we left in January 2019 and set sail up the west coast of Australia without. So our baby girl was nine months old then. Yeah, she loves it. She absolutely loves it. I mean, that's her her environment. She We brought her home from the hospital and she was straight onto the boat. So that's what she she knows. She sees whales and dolphins and just just yells and screams and yeah absolutely loves the the boat life. We generally sort of get up and have some breakfast. We love to go out on the deck and just sit and drink some coffee and you know have a nice slow cruisy breakfast. I quite often get up earlier and do some yoga and I guess our day is planned around getting something for dinner that night. <laughs> yeah, normally we'll sort of pack up in the dinghy and head into one of the beaches nearby. So we get our fish mainly from spearfishing. Yeah, we'll either dive off the beach or dive off the dinghy and spend a bit of time playing on the beach with Lakey, swimming. She loves the water. Lunch would usually consist of a, a fish sandwich. <laughs> um, so we bake our own bread on the boat Um and then we just catch um, the fish that we need for that day, basically. 
and then yeah depending on sort of who we're with so we've been lucky this year and been able to cruise with a few friends who have got their own boats as well so we spend a bit of time up there so we quite often will um, create delicious potluck dinners and have dinners on um, other people's boats or they'll come to us and um, yeah it's just really fun it's all around seafood fish and crayfish whatever we've got really and it's just being creative with that So living on the boat, and now it is a, it is a huge change from life on land. I guess in a way it's taught me a lot about life and sort of living sustainably and minimalistically. You know, when we live in a house, we have a lot of space and we tend to buy a lot of things that we don't need. And yeah, I found that sort of living on the boat has made me quite conscious about consumerism and yes, sustainability. I love the fact that we are just self-sufficient. We've got everything we need in this tiny little space. For the three of us, it's perfect. So, Rose, I've got some fun pop culture homework for you today. My favourite segment. (laughs) So I've recommended to you 1995's Waterworld, directed by Kevin Reynolds and starring Kevin Costner and Gene Triplehorn. Have you seen this movie? I have not had the pleasure of seeing this one. Give me the synopsis then. Yeah, so here we go. So... In a future where polar ice caps have melted and Earth is almost entirely submerged, which almost feels like something that could happen. We're edging closer to, yes. Go on. (laughs) A mutated mariner fights starvation and outlaws smokers and reluctantly helps a woman and a young girl try to find dry land. So an interesting fact about this one, it it was the most expensive film ever made at the time, a whopping $175 and was largely considered a flop despite being nominated for an Academy Award. Can we just back up for a second? What did you say about they outlaw smokers? Well, not smokers. I think that's a term for, like, the baddies. Oh, I thought we were going to try and save the world from water by stopping smoking cigarettes. I mean, that could – you never know. That could be a a good one too. But, no, these these are the baddies. I like this one. I like that you've gone down a bit of a darker road. This is a bit of a nod to the sort of climate change. Yeah, it's a bit post-apocalyptic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's not. It's not all smiles and rainbows on the water. No, like Dean would have us uh, have us believe. <laughs> but these people in the movie have been living on the water for so long that they've actually developed gills to be able to live, you know, on water, which is an interesting one too. I think the year was oh, okay. um, two two thousand five hundred or something. In the it's in the future. okay, so it's something to look forward to developing some gills when we all end up underwater. Yeah. Well, (laughs) anyway, Rose, I'll let you go and go to work, but uh, have a nice day and I'll talk to you soon. Always nice to chat, JJ. Speak to you next week. Thanks for listening to Somewhere Else, a podcast by Domain. Somewhere Else is produced by January Jones, Rose Donoghue and Kate Bartels. It is edited by Steve Claxton. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And tell your friends. Send us to your mum. It's how we get the word out. We'll see you soon, somewhere else. This episode of Somewhere Else was brought to you by Domain Insure. Powered by property experts, Domain Insure is a smart, simple way to purchase insurance. Get a quote in under two minutes at domain.com.au slash insurance slash podcast. 
Domain Insure AFSL 502088 for the Insurer Zurich Australian Insurance, LTD AFSL 232504.